This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the answer to our hunger. Feed us, fill us tonight by the bread of your presence. We ask this knowing you are able, trusting that you long to do so. Amen. Be seated. There is a theme throughout the scripture portions assigned for this evening by our lectionary. Everything we have just heard and chanted together has to do with eating. We could say that the Christian story on a grand scale is a story about eating. Specifically, a story of a God who provides bread for hungry people. A God who answers the question posed by our psalm we chanted just a few moments ago. The question that captures the heart of humanity's cry, the great longing of our souls. It's the question the Israelite people asked as they journeyed out of Egypt toward the promised land. Can God really provide a table for us in the wilderness? I want to invite us to reflect together on four stories this evening, four vignettes in the grand story of God's people, where we hear echoes of this same question, and more importantly, where we see it answered. The first of our four vignettes is the scene described in our psalm for tonight, a story many of us are familiar with. God had just delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, escaping Pharaoh's army through the Red Sea, the event we know as the Exodus, and the people begin their journey to the promised land. Not one page turn later, the reader finds the Israelites rather grumbly. It's been a month and a half since they left Egypt. They are in a desert, and understandably, food is scarce. Even if they were in a lush climate, it would have been nearly impossible to feed everyone to satisfaction. The group was thousands strong, possibly hundreds of thousands. And here they are, weary, hungry, beginning to feel desperate. So desperate are they feeling that they even begin to yearn for their old life in Egypt, where they were slaves. Yes, but at least their bellies were full. They approach Moses and Aaron, the, the leaders of this whole adventure, and demand to know, how is this better for us to be, have been brought out of slavery just to starve out in this wilderness? And the people's outcry against Moses and Aaron is, in actuality, an outcry against God. The psalm we read paraphrases what the people are truly asking. Where is God? Will he take care of us? Can he really provide a table in the wilderness? I wonder when in your life have you asked that question? When have you feared or worried or doubted even that God can provide for you in your wilderness? And what was God's answer? The answer from the Lord for the Israelites in the desert is yes. Not only can he provide for their immediate needs, but abundantly so lavishly, with manna, this bread from heaven, and with quail that appear miraculously on the ground within the Israelites' reach. And there is enough 
for everyone. From then on, the Lord provides this food for them daily, in abundance, without lack. There is no need to hoard for oneself. In fact, they are forbidden to hoard for themselves. Because there's no need to have more than your neighbor or to make sure you have enough to feed every, every hungry mouth in your family. Because everyone gets what they need. The Lord brings his people a feast in the wilderness. The second vignette takes place on a hillside near the Sea of Galilee, near the celebration of the Passover. Jesus and his disciples are joined by a large crowd, at least 5,000, possibly much more. Jesus spends the whole day healing the sick and teaching the people about the kingdom of God. And when evening approaches and the, the, the disciples recognize a problem, these great many people had gone a long time without a meal. And as many had followed Jesus on foot from various towns and villages a great distance, they were far from home. What should they do? Aren't the disciples now sort of responsible for these people? The, the disciples turn to Jesus with the problem. They suggest that he send the crowds away to the closest villages to find food for themselves. Jesus meets their anxiety with a calm answer. He tells them, don't send them away. You give them something to eat. The disciples understandably panic. I would. They say, we have nothing here. Six months' wages wouldn't be enough to feed all of these people. Here's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what would that amount to among all these people? It's reminiscent of that same question, isn't it? It's the disciples asking this time, but the heart of it is the same. Will God take care of us and those entrusted to our care? Can he spread a table, provide a feast, even here? I wonder, have you in your life asked this question from the disciples' perspective, when you've needed the Lord to provide not primarily for yourself, but for others under your care? It can be even more difficult to trust God to provide for those we love, even more so than for ourselves. Can he provide a table for your loved one in their wilderness? Can he feed thousands of hungry people on a hillside? Again, we hear that the answer to this question is yes, he can. And that's exactly what he does. Jesus takes the few loaves and fish from a little boy who is willing to share, and he hands them out. Miraculously, there's more to pass on to the next person and the next and the next. In another lavish display of abundance, everyone eats. Everyone is satisfied. There are baskets full left over. As the children's storybook Bible puts it, and I love this, everyone is filled full. This story is intended to echo God's provision of manna in the wilderness. It was Passover, after all, and Jesus had just performed a miracle that strangely resembled the way God provided for his people way back when. Jesus seems to be somehow reenacting the role of Moses, the hero of that first Passover. The Israelites received bread from heaven all those years ago, and here is more miraculous bread. And Jesus offers an explanation. Recorded in John chapter 6, he says to the people, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. 
Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is stunning. Jesus just took this momentous story in Israel's history, this hallmark of their faith, and reinterpreted the events in reference to himself. He claimed to be the true bread from heaven, the subject of that story, not a thing, but a person, living bread come down from heaven to feed his people, the true answer to humanity's hunger, the reality to which the manna in the wilderness was only a foretaste. And Jesus promised that anyone who partakes in this bread, this living bread, would never go hungry. There would never not be enough to go around because it's he himself who will satisfy their deepest hunger. His presence with his people is a feast in the wilderness where everyone who comes to him can be filled full. Which brings us to our third vignette in an upstairs dining room in Jerusalem. It's the scene we hear echoes of every week when we gather to worship on Sunday and share the, share the Eucharist together. It's the focal point of Maundy Thursday, the event we're remembering this evening. Jesus shares a meal with his disciples, again during the time of the Passover. This scene feels tense. What happens in this room described in the Gospels carries a sense of heightened significance. Every move, every, move, every object has meaning. Jesus kneels to wash the feet of his disciples, a shocking and provocative act, identifying himself as a servant and instructing the disciples that this also is their calling. Jesus reveals that one of the 12 present in the room would be his betrayer. It was customary at a Passover meal for one person to preside over the table, giving an explanation and recalling to mind the story of Israel's exodus from Egypt. The elements of the meal themselves are all deeply symbolic, meant to remind those who are eating of their identity as God's people and the covenant that God had made with them. So it seems that Jesus assumed this role as presider over the Passover meal that night, and we don't know if he spoke any of the traditional words of recollection. It's likely he did. But Jesus also changes the script. He engages with two of the elements used for the meal wine and unleavened bread. And he hands them out, explaining their meaning in a new way. He uses these elements to tell the story of their salvation, yes, the salvation of God's people, but in reference to himself. This bread is my body. This wine is my blood. It's given for you, poured out for you. I am given for you. I am poured out for you. At this meal and in the events that would follow, a final answer is given to that question posed by the Israelites in the wilderness. The question that so often finds its way into our minds and hearts. Will God take care of us? Does he see me? Does he care? Can he provide a feast in my wilderness? At the Last Supper, during the events of Holy Week, we are answered. Yes, by his death, as Jesus gives himself, pours himself out for us fully and completely, we are answered. He will provide bread for his people at his own great expense. So a new tradition is established 
a meal over which his followers would continue to gather and remember that great story of their salvation, the body of their Lord, given and passed around, his blood poured out, all of it for us to be the answer for our hunger. The provision of manna in the wilderness, the feeding of the 5,000, these were foreshadows of this meal, this bread. And just like in the desert and on the hillside, this meal is one of abundance. There is enough for everyone to be filled full. Our last vignette, our final scene, is here. You are in it. I'm in it. The church gathered. We are here tonight in this space, but imagine everywhere the people of God are gathered for Holy Week. The Presbyterian, Lutheran, and Roman Catholic churches on our city block, the modest rural congregations an hour from here, the church plants that meet in schools and gymnasiums, mega church gatherings in South Korea, in the many, many countries where Christians gather in secret, in homes, in prisons, online. We come to worship God, each with our own story of wilderness wandering, with a hunger that can only be satisfied by the bread of life. The field is leveled here because no matter our accomplishments, our degrees, our wealth, or our poverty, the ways which we may have experienced suffering, whatever good or misery has happened in our week, in our lives, we desperately need the bread of life, the presence of Jesus. And just like the manna was promised and provided daily for the Israelites, without fail, our Lord has promised that he will meet us here with the true bread of his presence every time we gather to worship, every time we gather to share in this Thanksgiving meal. The bread, the wine that we share in is a gift, a means by which we partake in the true bread, feeding on Christ in our hearts by faith, as our liturgy says. It's true that every time we gather to receive the Eucharist, we are having a feast in the wilderness, are we not? Choosing to give thanks, to share in joy, to trust that Jesus Christ is enough, is an act of defiance in a way. The bills may be piling up on the counter. We may be hurting from broken relationships or grieving loss. Circumstances around us would have us fear, react in anger, anxiety, grumble, seek revenge, causing us to ask that question once again. God, will you take care of us? I vividly remember asking that question at 23 years old, finding out only weeks beginning, before beginning at seminary that our family would be growing and we would be having a baby. Josh and I both worked part-time in ministry and we were looking ahead to three years as full-time seminary students on top of that, renting a studio apartment with one closet nothing in our bank account. God, do you care about us? Can you provide a table in our wilderness? Whatever our wilderness is, because of the events of Holy Week, the Lord's answer to us is yes. He spreads a table for us, invites us to receive what we truly need, the nourishment of his presence. He is true food for our souls. He gives himself generously and invites us to feast even in the wilderness. He invites us to trust that this bread is enough. 
Now, I'm not advocating that we gather here, insulate ourselves, and ignore the brokenness of the world around us. Our calling is not to lavishly indulge in this meal in the safety of these walls as the world around us falls apart. Sadly, that is often the perception of the church. That's because that's often what we've been. We heard Paul admonish the Corinthians for this very thing, right? Turning the meal of Thanksgiving, the Lord's Supper, into a place of privilege for the wealthy and oppression for the poor, inclusion and exclusion. The Corinthians meal was marked by hoarding rather than generosity and thanksgiving. We must repent of where we've been guilty of this because the meal of Christ's presence, salvation itself, far from resembling an exclusive private party, ought rather to resemble something like a soup kitchen, a table that is long with endless room to pull up more chairs. It is an expansive feast, which, like the loaves and fishes, has enough to feed as many who will come. Far be it from us to think we can hoard Christ's presence for ourselves. We are called to invite others along, as the disciples did, to keep passing out the loaves and learn that the living bread will never run out. In a few minutes, we will share in the sacrament of communion, the physical experience of consuming bread and wine that signifies the reality of receiving Christ as bread for our souls, the blood that was spilled to make us clean. This feast is an invitation to anyone who has been baptized into the family of God and received Christ as Lord. If you've not been baptized, we invite you to come forward with your arms crossed and receive a blessing instead of partaking in the bread and wine. I do want to be clear, though, that not yet being baptized and refraining from Holy Communion tonight does not prevent Christ from meeting you and from giving himself to you even tonight. He offers us the spiritual food of his presence in a unique way in the sacraments, but not exclusively there. Christ promises to meet us whenever and wherever we call upon him in faith. It's his presence that satisfies our needs, and he is present here. So whether you are a lifelong Christian or you've wandered through these doors tonight not totally sure why or if you belong here, there is an answer to your hunger here. I believe there's an answer to my hunger here. We are Israel, hungering in the wilderness. We are the people on the hillside longing to be filled. The Christian story is indeed a story about eating. It is the story of a God who provides bread for hungry people. The God who spread a table in the wilderness for the Israelites also spreads one here for us. And as we journey together through the events of Holy Week, as we witness and feel the grief and sorrow and darkness, know that all of it was endured, given, so that you and I could eat the bread of life and have our deepest hunger be satisfied, so that we also could be filled full. Amen.